Welcome, welcome to Parkview. Glad to have you here, all of our campuses. One question, does the fight start at eight o'clock or does it start at 11 o'clock? <sighs> Good morning, welcome, we're glad that you're here. I mean, the eclipse happened and the world didn't end, um, but I just gotta say there's still some signs that point to the end of the world. I mean, McGregor made it into the 10th round, okay? And uh, nobody thought he was gonna do that and the Bears won a preseason game, so, you know, I mean, <laughs> Start looking around, you know. I mean, I, I'm all into this, looking at the signs of Revelation, trying to figure out where, when the end of the world is coming. I mean, if the, if the Cubs win the, win the World Series, won the World Series, and the Bears win the Super Bowl, you better get right with Jesus. That's all I'm going to say, okay? I <laughs> uh, went on a last-minute trip to California to meet with a group of pastors from all races to talk about uh, the racial issue, and uh, especially the problem that is directed at the church, it seems to be, in the U.S. We had Catholics, Orthodox, Mainline, Evangelical, all meeting together. There were about 60 of us, well-known pastors, evenly represented racially. Rick Warren had asked us to come and chat, just, just to chat, and we didn't come away with a statement or any answers. We just spent a whole day sharing, and that's probably the most important thing that I came away with is that we need to do that better. Uh, someone quoted the stats that uh, uh, people were asked after Charlottesville, have you had a conversation about race? 75% of African Americans, 60% of white people said, yeah, I've had a conversation about race in the last several weeks. They followed up the question with, did you have a conversation about race with someone from another race? And only 37% said yes. See, the problem is if we just talk amongst ourselves, it, it doesn't work as well. And, and what I've learned is that when the Bible says to carry each other's burdens, we can't carry each other's burdens if A, we don't believe they have one, or B, we don't understand what they are. And the truth is that the day after Charlottesville, like the Sunday morning after Charlottesville, I got up and I talked, and I thought I talked pretty strongly about racism until I talked to a friend who was African-American. He said, I don't think you went far enough. And I talked to several people who said, I don't think you went far enough. And so then, then more things blew up that week. I came back last week, and I took a really strong approach to racism, a much stronger stance on it. I just said more uh, last week. It got shared a lot on social media. If you want to see it, it's out there. And, and I know that there there were some negative feelings from some people who misunderstood me, but there were also a lot of people who are like me who just don't understand what it's like to be a minority. And then again, please understand this. If you aren't white, you don't understand what it's like to be a majority because a lot of white people are confused as to why we're being thrown into a category as well. The truth of the matter is I've been white all my life. <laughs> I'm not like Steve Martin. I wasn't born a poor black child, okay? Sadly, I don't have anyone of color in my immediate family at all. I was really hoping that at least one of my girls would marry someone non-white. I seriously was, and they didn't. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of them even married somebody who was more white. <laughs> He's from England, okay? My grandsons have to wear sunscreen in the house. You understand what I'm saying? Now, hopefully, I'll get some adopted color in my family somewhere along the way because the Harlow house is headed in the wrong direction. But those of you who grew up in a minority or adopted someone into your family, have someone in your family that is from a, a non-white racial background, you have a very different perspective. And, and I've come to realize that I don't think I'm a racist, but I know that I can be insensitive because I can't help it. I didn't grow up like that. And you don't know what it's like to be me. I grew up in Oklahoma City in the 70s when forced busing was going on, and that was a, a 
great idea to try to desegregate, and it worked horribly, and there was a ton of fighting, and schools were, were a mess, and, you know, it, it, I, I can honestly say I've been on the other side of physical abuse as a minority in that situation in junior high, but that was like uh, a year out of my life. It's not the same, and that's not been my norm. Now, I don't know what it's like to be you, and you don't know what it's like to be me. So the best thing that we can do is get together and talk. I listened to a Hispanic pastor whose friend has been preaching in the U.S. for 25 years and is now in jail awaiting deportation. Interesting discussion. Talked to an African-American pastor, great big church out in L.A., who broke down still talking about what it was like to grow up in the South in the 50s and the 60s. Two of the African-American pastors are former NFL players. So they had some different perspective that they brought along the way, but the same issue. And none of these issues are easy to solve, okay? We didn't, again, come up with any great answers, but we had the discussion, and I think that's what is really important. The Bible says whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Okay, can't, can't get any more you know, obvious than this. For whoever does not love their brother or sister who they have seen can't love God who they have not seen. I mean, just period. And when it comes to talking about how we should treat each other, the example was Jesus, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That word vain conceit is about, like, this is where I come from. This is my heritage. Paul said, lay all of that down. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. And you know who the example of that was? Jesus who didn't consider any vain conceit in the fact that he came from heaven, for crying out loud. You want to talk about the other side of the tracks? That's where he came from. And he came down and became the servant and laid his life down. Listen, the Great Commission says that we're to go into all of the world, not just the parts that look like us. And the Great Commandment is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If racism breaks both of those, it's, it's got to go, Okay. We're going to talk today about five things that God uses to grow your faith. In this series on Rooted, and uh, the Rooted experience is filled up, I can get you a slot for a slight fee. Um, you just let me know, and uh, you know, I can get you in. But no, seriously, it's, it's filled up. I told you I was going to do that. It's going to be a great thing, and in January, we'll sign you up, and we'll get this thing going again. And so what we've been doing is trying to get this Rooted experience uh, prepped by talking about these five things that God uses to grow us. And we're going to talk about the D word today. I mean, this, this is a word nobody, nobody woke up today thinking, boy, I hope we can talk about discipline, right? That, that's just not fun. Andy Stanley makes fun of it. He says, discipline is things you're supposed to do that you don't want to do. Is that a better word? That's a, that's a good definition for discipline, right? I'm supposed to eat less. I'm supposed to eat healthier. I got to exercise more. I got to save more. I got to spend less. I got to spend more time with my kid. I got to spend more time with my wife. I got to spend more time on myself. I need to call my mama. I need to sleep more. I need to get up earlier. I mean, how, how, do, I, how do I do all these things? Nobody likes the D word. No, nobody does. And let's just be honest. When you meet people who are more disciplined than you, Let's just admit it. On one hand, you're like maybe a little bit inspired, and on the other hand, you hate them. <laughs> Can we all just be honest, right? Okay, like, like case in point, some people, and the thing is about discipline, sometimes it becomes an obsession. Let, let me just show you. How many people here, all of our campuses, how many of you are obsessed by running? You're runners. Just let me get all your run. Come on, you got energy. Raise your hand. Oh, I'm a runner. I'm feeling good. All, all of you, okay? All of our campuses, raise your hand, all right? Now, now, let me ask the rest of you, were you inspired by that? 
No. Way to go. Proud of you. See, the deal is, when, when I see one of those 26.2 stickers on the back of somebody's car, you know, it's like a subversive way to say, I ran a marathon, okay? I, I don't say, wow, that's awesome. I sure wish I could run a marathon. A 26.2 sticker on the back of your car is like, like having a sticker that says root canal. <laughs> or, or, or jury duty. <laughs> or Daunton Abbey. Or, or cat lover. I mean, you just, I'm just not, I'm not inspired by that. I, I'm, not, I'm not on your team, okay? My brother-in-law has this sticker on the back of his car. I love that. No running. Okay, but listen, I, I mean, I've got joint problems. There's no, there's no way I can run. I exercise. There's no way I can run. But what I know is that when I talk to people who run, they tell you, man, once you get going, once you do it, you, you're going to love it. You're going to keep, and, and they're, they're excited. They're going to put their hand up because they feel good. And they will tell you that it started as a discipline. It started as something they didn't really want to do, but then they started feeling better, and they realized that it was good for them, and they wanted to keep doing it. So they kept running, just like Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest. They kept going. Because discipline always leads to progress. Even if you have a bad attitude, it will lead to progress, which will eventually lead to freedom, right? It's like Karate Kid, wax on, wax off, and then one day he wakes up and he can beat up the bullies. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even know it. That's discipline. Dave Ramsey talks about it financially. You live like no one else now so you can live like no one else later. And those of you who have done it, I mean, why do they call it a debt-free scream? Why is it a debt-free scream? Because the discipline of cutting up credit cards and, and not spending money turned into a freedom. And now the people are so excited that they want to drive to Nashville and scream. Okay? That's how discipline works. You runners won't give it up. I, I won't give up exercise. I hate traveling and not being able to do it as much because I know that I'm going to feel better. And when we feel that freedom, we realize that discipline is worth it. My, uh, my newest son-in-law, Andy, who's married to my youngest daughter, Becca, his father has Parkinson's disease. He's, he's younger than I am, and he has a very debilitating Parkinson's disease. So they're always trying to figure out, how, how can you feel better? How can you feel better? And he's a guy that, that loved sweets, but he finally gave up sugar recently. And it has been life-altering for him. I don't know if you knew this, but sugar is bad. <laughs> I, I don't want to really ruin your day, you know, but it, it's really bad. And, and he quit sugar, and, and it's been remarkable. And you know what? When, when he sees a bowl of ice cream, he, he's thinking to himself, I sure would like that, but I'm not going to change because I'm free. I feel better. This is worth it, okay? Here's why I'm talking about discipline, okay? These are the five things um, that, that, that God uses to grow us along the way. Providential relationships, personal ministry, practical teaching, private disciplines, that's what we're going to talk about today, and pivotal circumstances, okay? All except for the last one, this is a, a, about how we react to the things that God does. We'll talk about that next week. But all the rest of these involve me deciding that I want to do something, it's me partnering with God in the faith. And when it comes to the private disciplines, here's what you'll hear. You talk to somebody who has great faith. You talk to somebody that you really admire their faith and you feel like that's the kind of Christian you want to be. And they will always tell you that the private discipline part, the part that nobody else sees, has become a really important thing in their life. Private disciplines of giving, of praying, of Bible study. It started as a supposed to. It started as a, oh, I'm going to get up and run and I'm 
and I'm going to do it. I'm, I prom- promise myself I'm going to do it for a month and, and see what happens. And it started as that, or try the tithe for three months, or, or try getting up 15 minutes early and studying the Bible, and I'm going to try it for a month, and I'm going to see what happens. And, and then it got to the point where right now they would tell you, the reason I have this faith is because it, it changed me, and I won't give it up. And it's not, I mean, some of the giving, praying, private disciplines affect other people. When I pray, I pray more for other people than I do for myself. When I give, I I give because I know it's going to help other people and I want to be generous. But let's talk about what it does for you. And I'm using those two because those are the two illustrations that Jesus uses back in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm in Matthew 6. We're still back in the Sermon on the Mount looking at what Jesus says is going to help us grow in our faith. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, okay, those discipline, personal disciplines before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward. This is what I want you to hear. No reward from your Father in heaven, okay? You can do all the spiritual junk you want to in your life, and it's really wonderful. I get no reward from preaching, okay? I mean, you know, maybe... Maybe I'll get some extra French fries in heaven. I don't know. But I'll get no, because you see it. You hear it. You know what's going on. There's no reward from God for that. This is public. Okay? You get reward for the stuff that goes on in private. And here's illustration number one. So when you give to the needy, (laughs) do not announce it with trumpets. I know this, this is weird, but. Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Right? He's talking about giving. Obviously, these people are giving to the poor. This is almsgiving. This was not the tithe. The Jews always tithed 10% back to the temple, back to the church. That's what they always did. They were taught to do that. And on top of that, they would give to the poor. That was something else that they did. And, it, and you're like, trumpets? What, what's with the trumpets? No, seriously. This is, this is so bizarre. But they would like... They, they would like see a, a poor person, you know, in, in, the, in the city, in the temple, what, wherever they were, and they would have money, and they'd be like, hit it. Da, da, da. Hello, poor person, here's some money. And everybody would look at them and go, oh, wow, isn't that awesome? They had a mariachi band going with them everywhere they went, you know. Oh, got some money today. Oh, hey, what a great guy. And you're like, that is so goofy. How, how does that translate into 21st century America? Two words, social media. Think about this. This is like being downtown. You, you meet a homeless guy, right? And, and you're like, oh, I need to help this person. And, and I know I'm not supposed to give money, so I've got McDonald's gift certificates already. I'm going to give them a McDonald's gift certificate. Hey, homeless person, let me give you a hamburger. Here you go. And let me snap a selfie so I can put it on Instagram and show what a great person I am. Hashtag look at me. Hashtag I'm so generous. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> See, this is what we call practical teaching because you don't get the trumpet thing, but I can, make this, I can make this practical into today's terms. So, But when you give to the needy, shh. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
No reward for the trumpets. No reward if you post it on social media. No reward for the outside ministry things. Reward comes for the inner disciplines and the things that nobody else sees. There's, there's a lot of passages about how our generosity helps other people and how important that is. But this is just about the heart, okay? Jesus says you can't serve God and money because your heart won't be in the right place. Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart will be. And your heart has to be in the right place. And money is one of those things that gets in the way of our faith. And it's great. If you want to give it away publicly, then that's fine. But, but, but giving it away privately is the way that nobody else knows what's going on except you and God, which isn't it amazing? All the more reason to not pass the offering plates anymore, right? About two months ago, if you're new, we stopped passing the offering plates. And I know some of you were like, bringing rolls of quarters and breaking them open and clank, 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 clank. I know, I, I watched you. You like put your bills, your, your, your bills, out, you know, open up the check and leave it out there so the next person could see what was going on when it came by. Now you can't do that anymore. Now we, get, now we give online. Nobody except the, the, the financial chairman knows what you're giving whatsoever. That, that's when your reward comes in. We've got offering boxes, but you, I, I want you to just kind of slide it in there when you go by. Nobody needs to know this because this is about your faith faith. Private discipline number one was your treasure. Private discipline illustration number two. Again, these are just Jesus' two examples here. And I'm skipping the third one, which is fasting, because that's way too deep at this point. But listen, here's where he goes, okay? He goes, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. We don't like hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by men and I tell you the truth, they've already received their reward in full. Omnipotent, mighty God of the universe, we give thee thanks and praise and worship for thy unlimited bounty by which you have bestowed upon us. Nice prayer, dude. No reward. Same principle, public versus private. I don't, I'll talk about the reward in a second. I don't want to get it. I don't know what all that is. There's nothing wrong with praying publicly, I, you know, but just knock off the show, okay? But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What is this reward? Don't you want to know this at some point? I, I wish I could tell you. I don't know. Jesus never says. It's just some kind of a faith reward that happens in your life. It will hashtag blessed. It will be hashtag blessed for you. It will go well for you if you commit to doing private disciplines and you commit to doing them so nobody else knows them and you commit a little bit of your time. The two most, this is the two most important things to you, your time and your treasure, Right? I mean, those are the commodities, as commodities go, those are the two most important things that you have. Jesus says, you take a little piece of your time, take a little piece of your treasure, and you devote it to me. Well, Tim, are you saying that God doesn't hear me when I'm flying down the highway praying not to be late for work? Yeah, it depends on how fast they're going probably, but that's not the point. He always hears you. The point is, when, when you devote some time and some treasure to me, your faith is going to grow. There will be a reward. I mean, he might answer your prayer and not make you late for work, but there's a reward for the discipline that happens in personal Bible study and prayer. And if you were to talk to people who've been Christians for a long time, and you would say, hey, 
um, what do you, what do you, what about the tithing thing? You do, oh, they'll tell you, oh yeah, I've been doing that for, I wouldn't, I would never, I would tell you this, I would never not tithe. And it's not legalistic. It's just like, it's so much blessing when God and I partner up. And you talk to people who've been a Christian a long time. You say, well, what's the deal with this, like, this, this quiet time, like going into the closet with the door closed with God? What's the reward of that? And they will say, well, I don't know exactly, but my reward is that I leave that chair with this uncanny assurance that I, as I face the uncertainty of the day, God is with me. That's what I can tell you. I don't know what the reward Jesus is talking about, but there is a reward from spending time alone with your heavenly Father in prayer. And the psalmist said it this way, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. You give God a slice of time and he will bless it and multiply it. You give God a slice of money and he will bless it and he will multiply it. That is just the truth. I've been living it all my life. One of the great writers in this area, probably the best writer in the area of the soul and taking care of your soul, uh, is John Ortberg. This is his latest book, uh, Soul Keeping. I want to highly recommend that to you. Really some great stuff in there. There's other reading on it, but, but Soul Keeping is a great synopsis, easy to read if you're interested in that. John was at the summit Monday with us on, uh, on race relations, and we were chatting at a break, and I told him, you know, I, th- I think this was the best summer break I've ever had. And he's always intuitive, you know, he's like, well, tell me about that. Why do you think it was? And I said, well, I mean, I don't know why. I feel better than normal. And I said, I, d- I don't know why, but I guess for one thing, I didn't have a project hanging over my head. It wasn't a book to write or a convention to run or any of those kinds of things. And then it hit me. <laughs> And I started laughing. I said, oh, and I bet the other thing is that I had rotator cuff surgery on May 1st, and I couldn't do anything. I was forcing, I mean, literally, this summer, I was forced to do less. And when you're forced to do less, you have to be more. And we need to learn to be instead of do. Am I right? And sometimes those of us who are really high type A, God has to like rip the tendons in your shoulder to get you to understand that. And I guess it would be better for us if we, God didn't have to knock us down and we just got up a little bit early every day or we just spent some time every day at lunch or whatever it was and said, God, I, I, I need to be. Let's be together. So here's my challenge for you today. It's what Bill Hybels from Willow Creek would call chair time. Okay, uh, Chair time. Uh, Read the Bible and pray. And when, when he talks about chair time, I really, I really think like having one place where you go back over and over again. Jesus talks about the closet. I mean, it's some place where you can get away from people. Maybe it's a, it's a chair in your house. You get up 15 minutes early. Maybe there's a place in your office where you can take your lunch in and, and spend 15 minutes at lunch and get away from everybody and, and get away from your phone and get away from the Internet and everything else and do this. And I know that you're probably like, well, what would I do there? So I'm going to give you two screens worth of information, and I'm going to put this on social media too, but if you want to get your phone out and take a picture of this, or if you want to write this down, I'm going to give you two screens worth of information that I think will really, really help you, all right? The first one is, what what should I read? The Bible is not a novel. Don't, do not start in Genesis and start reading, okay? Numbers is going to kill you. 
Do not do this. I mean, unless you've, unless you've been a Christian for a long time and you understand it, if you're a new Christian or if you're new to this Bible study idea, we gave you three ideas here. John is one of the Gospels, uh, the last one written, very, very beautifully written story of Jesus. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus who is very, very practical. It's more in the back of the New Testament. All three of these are in the New Testament. Ephesians is just one of the great letters that Paul wrote to the churches, has a lot of great advice in it, okay? I'm just saying, pick one of those. Start reading. I would say John. Let's start with John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's this beautiful, different telling of the Christmas story. All right, what are you going to do? You're going to ask yourself three questions as you read. What stood out to me as I, from what I read? Was there anything confusing in what I read? Maybe not. I was reading in Joshua this morning, and I had a big one right there. Okay, There's some stuff in the Old Testament that I just do not understand how things went the way that they went or why. Okay, That's okay. You ask God about it. Number three, did anything make me think differently about God? Okay, What stood out? Was there anything confusing? Maybe not. Maybe so. Ask God about it. Was there anything that makes me think differently about God? And then that's what, that's what you do. That's where you start with your scripture, okay? And you read, I don't care, read two verses, read a whole chapter. Just do whatever you want to do, whatever you've got time for, and do it. Get to the point where there's something there, there's a little piece of meat that you need to digest for the day and go for it, okay? That will help you. Now, here are three application questions for you. Take a picture of this or write them down, and I'll, I'll put them out for you as well. Okay, now, based on what I just read, how can I make wise decisions today? How can I become more like Jesus today? And how can I make a difference for God today? A little bit different, but they're all great questions. How, how, how can I make wise decisions today? How can I be more like Jesus today? How can I be, make a difference for God in the world today? And you apply that scripture, and you take 15 minutes, and, and, and you, I promise you, if you will take 15 minutes, uh, for most people, it's the best to just get up early and do it right then, keep the phone away, keep all the distractions away, doesn't matter what the weather's going to be, you can ask Siri later, don't get on your email, don't get on social media, just 15 minutes, I promise you, you do that. I promise you in the same way to try the, try the tithe for three-month thing, I promise you it'll change your life and you'll never go back. And listen, let me just say this. Well, sometimes people write me because they think the preaching at Parkview ought to be different. Okay? Usually it's about Todd, but, but sometimes it's about <laughs> And, you know, it's like sometimes it's like the sermons are too hard. It was too hard today on money or purity or racism or, or whatever the issue is. But more often than not, the number one complaint that all preachers hear, I mean, we have like little bumper stickers, and I mean, we all, we all hear the same thing. The preaching is not deep enough. I wish the preaching was deeper. Okay? And that's usually a complaint about style, which is fine, or how much humor you use, which is fine. Or more likely, it's, it's about the fact that some preachers like to preach expositorily, like all the way through a book, verse for verse. Even though that was not the way it was done in the Bible, Jesus didn't do it, Paul didn't do it, nobody in the Bible did it. The Bible wasn't even written that way. I love preaching that way. But for me, practical teaching means we're going to bounce around to the topics that we need to talk about. So it's usually about style. And by the way, um, in two weeks, when we get done with this series, I'm going to go through the Lord's Prayer. 
our Dear God series is going to be an expository uh, a, a look at the, at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go right through it and answer, and not just like, what does this prayer mean, but how does it affect you? I think this is going to be really important. Can't wait to do Our Father Who Art in Heaven in two weeks. You, you, don't, you don't want to miss that, okay? It's, but, but that's a style thing. And the underlying suggestion of the comment of preacher, if you would preach differently, I would be growing in my faith. That's really what it is. Preacher, if you would just be preaching differently, I would be growing in my faith. So basically, it's my fault that you're a fat little baby. <laughs> Which, for those of you who've been around Christian music for a long time, was a very funny old Amy Grant song based on Hebrews 5. Here's the scripture. The Hebrew writer said it. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You've been Christians for a long time, for crying out loud. And you still need somebody else to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You're still drinking milk, not solid food. But solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves. You're just a fat little baby. Wah, wah, wah. He wants his bottle and he don't mean maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the only word she could rhyme with baby. That's ridiculous. That, that was the song. It was very hilarious, and it was about this issue. The Hebrew writer Amy Grant is trying to say there is no way that you can grow in your faith by showing up for the best practical teaching in the, in, in the universe once a week or a few times a month. It's the same as working out. I mean, any personal trainer will say, look, if you just want to come to me on Saturday, that'd be great. I'll still take your money. But you're never going to lose any weight or build any muscle or reach any goals once a week. You need to learn to do it yourself. So I want to challenge you to give God the first few minutes of your day, the first few dollars of your check, and, and trust him and watch him bless you and grow in your own faith. Remember, that's what we're doing. That's how we become rooted. It's like exercising a muscle. You may not like it at first, it's a discipline, and you will learn to love it, and, and soon enough you'll have a quiet time sticker on the back of your car. My Uncle Roy died um, two nights ago uh, down in Amarillo, Texas. My mom's uh, middle older brother, she had two older brothers, this is the middle one, very close to him um, because he was a pastor. My Uncle Roy was a great pastor, largest church in Amarillo, Texas. Um, it, uh, it, 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 he was a megachurch pastor back in the day when a megachurch was an anomaly. And, and nobody loved lost people more than my Uncle Roy. I mean, it, it, with my parents and my Uncle Roy, probably they are the inspiration for my life on mission. My dad as a pastor and my Uncle Roy, that's why I'm doing this today. So I got to get to Amarillo by Thursday, not morning, you old country fans. I got to get to Amarillo by Thursday. Um, to get to the wake and the funeral. I got to be there. I got I to be a part of it. I, I, I can't not. And you know what? There will be many influential, other influential pastors there, including two of his sons. And the church in Amarillo is now even larger and reaching more people. It's over 10,000 people in Amarillo, which means that like one in 10 people in Amarillo go to Hillside Christian Church. And even though he retired years ago and was 86, I think, when he passed away. There will still be hundreds of people at this funeral on Thursday and Friday. And there will be thousands in heaven who will tell of Roy's ministry and how it helped them to get there, earth to heaven and heaven to earth. And I've been processing that. I mean, he, he, he's, his health has been failing, had some dementia. This is a, you know, this is a, a blessing. This is time to go, go home to God. But I've been thinking about that because, like, I'm going to be there someday. I'm going to be the one in the box 
and you know, people are going to come by and, and see me and, and pay their last respects. And I've got kids and nieces and nephews who are following in, in this legacy thing, and I hope they show up at my funeral. And I know that I've already laid a foundation in 28 years here the, of, of what hopefully people would be able to look and, and say that, that he was faithful to, to serve God and his generation, that he fulfilled his purpose. King David fulfilled his purpose for that generation, and then he died. One of my favorite scriptures. Like, he did it, and then he was gone, right? But how, what if I live another 30 years? Because that's, that's about what the difference is there. What if I live the next 30 years and get to 86? How do I get to that pine box in the best way for the glory of God? And you know how I do it? I've been processing it. Let me give you the, let me give you the five things. <laughs> right? It doesn't ever change. It doesn't ever change for me. It doesn't ever change for you. As I have providential relationships, I get to that. I, I get to that end point, that well done and good and faithful servant. As I'm involved in personal ministry, as I am involved in practical teaching, private disciplines, pivotal circumstances, that's what's going to get me there. Not very much of it will have to do with what you see out here. Most of it will have to do with what goes on in here. And that is about me partnering with God. Okay? One of the most important scriptures to me in regards to this was Elijah. He was, uh, he was God's prophet. He was God's prophet so much that when, when it was time for Elijah to die, he was one of very few people in the Bible, that when it was time for him to die, God said, you don't have to die. I'm just going to swoop down and pick you up on my way by. And he sent a chariot of fire down for Elijah. Can you imagine this? He sent a chariot of fire, and Elijah never died. He just went, whoop, and Elijah went up in the chariot of fire, and they all went, well, see ya. That's, that, that, that's pretty influential. That, that's, a, that's a guy that's close to God, right? How did that happen? Well, Elijah had a tough season of ministry, and he was a little discouraged, and he reached out to God, and he, he, was, he was trying to figure out how to keep going doing his ministry. And God said, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Man, that sounds like uh, God's going to show up there, Right? I mean, we need to pray for the people of South Texas. That hurricane was the worst in a decade. And, but the insurance people call those things what? An act of God. I mean, it, it, those are the kinds of things where you're like, that's a big thing. God's got to be in the big thing, right? But the Lord was not there. He was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake, another big thing. The earth is shattering. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. That's, that's a good thing, right? Moses, burning bush. Elijah brought fire down. Prophets of Baal. Fire. God, God's got to be in the fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. None, none of that. And Elijah's got to be going, well, where are you going to show up, God? And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God's God's not usually going to show up in the big things. He's not usually going to show up in the out there things. He's usually going to show up in a still, small voice. And you won't get the chance to hear it if your life is full of noise and you don't spend any time listening. Let me say it this way. You don't make it to the chariot of fire or the honoring funeral I will be at on Friday by going from one big miraculous event to another, you get there by regularly hearing from the still small voice. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, uh, pray for my family, for my cousins, for my aunt, and um, 
honor the legacy of my Uncle Roy and um, looking forward to being with all of those people and celebrating his life. And at the same time, I want to be at the, I want to be that place. I, I, I want to be a person who remains or left in a box and people say, I think he did everything he could to give the glory to God and help people get from earth to heaven and bring heaven to earth. And I probably still have plenty of time to mess that up. So I pray that you'll be with me and everyone listening, that we will knock off all the other stuff. Don't make us be in a situation where you have to tear our rotator cuff. Get us to knock off all of that other stuff and spend a little bit of time listening to your still small voice, to to read scripture and learn it for ourselves and to grow in our faith. This we pray in your name. Amen.